Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm James Crepia, and he's Aaron Fentress, and this is Ducks Confidential. With fall camp underway and some real football practices and performances to assess, we're going to take an early look into the season and give some insights from the first 10 days of fall camp for the Ducks, uh, giving an outlook a little bit. Early on, uh, we'll get into a full season preview uh, in an upcoming episode uh, as we get a little bit closer to the season. But with the season about two and a half weeks away from starting, obviously lots of excitement starts with the preseason polls. They're out. Uh, The Ducks coming in at number 11 in the preseason AP poll, 12 in the preseason coaches poll. Uh, What do you think, Aaron? It's legit, not legit, good position for where they should be. Uh, Your assessment? You know, I think it's about right. I think – you know, that's pretty much where I thought they would probably land somewhere in that 10 to 15 range. Uh, you know, they ended the season poorly last year, but I think everyone in the country knows they have a ton of talent because their recruiting classes have been extremely strong. So you would expect that they're going to replace a lot of the guys that they lost from last year and guys who they didn't have last year because of the staggered season starting late, losing Panay and Holland and guys like that. So I think I think that's fair. I think you know the big question is quarterback clearly and uh, revamping the defense a bit. But you know, as you'll get to later, they have a ton of talent on defense. I think everyone knows that. And so I think it's a fair start for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that ultimately, uh, I didn't think that they were going to certainly not going to start any higher than ninth. I think for any Oregon fans who are going to make the case that they're underranked at eleven or twelve, basically, who who in the top ten? which there was the same 10 teams for both the coaches and uh, the AP poll voters. Uh, who were they supposed to be ahead of? I mean, there were yeah. some voters clearly who did have them in the top 10, but in, but if you were going to make a case, who were they to be ahead of in that group? Now you could say, well, I'm not real high on Cincinnati. They should be ahead of Cincinnati. Or certainly, again, the AP poll voters had them ahead of Florida. The coaches had them one spot behind Florida. There are a couple of arguments to be had, but not that many. Uh, especially where Oregon is the highest ranked team among teams who finished last season unranked. And now I understand why they finished unranked. It was a short season. Yes, they ended up at four and three, but they still played a New Year's six game. Uh, they won a Pac-12 conference that had no integrity of record in the season last season. Uh, but nevertheless, they won a power conference league. They do have a lot of pieces back. 
Yes, they have changes uh, on offense. Either it's they won, specifically they won quarterback. a power conference league. Airport. Well, they, you know, Aaron wants to take away the trophies. Um, <laughs> no, uh, he I wants to take away the trophy. I he, he, take it away. He, he wants to make sure that nobody flies any banners, whether that's Washington flying <laughs> a North Division banner or uh, USC flying a South Division banner or Oregon flying no. a Pac-12 conference banner. But no. uh, be that as it may, again, they've got the trophies and the rings to show for it. Uh, just ask them. Uh, yeah, but exactly. but ultimately, uh, hey, again, the, the whole conference had no integrity of record last year. We know that. That's right. a, and that's everybody. That's everybody. Right. The South Division didn't have integrity of record. Colorado didn't get, get a shot against USC. So it was a mess. But they won the that's league. Right. And with that said, yes, they end up at four and three, but they didn't play. A, nobody in the league played a full season. Half the league right. played four games last year. It was a mess. Having said all that, when you have what they have returning, when you have the caliber of talent that they have and the caliber of coaching that they have, you knew that they were going to start the year ranked. I agree with you. I think they were going to, I thought personally that they'd be somewhere between 10 and 15. I thought the absolute lowest that anybody could really justify would have been 16 or 17. Uh, if you really like bent over backwards to say every, you know, make a case for every which other team, but you start getting into the teams like 17 to 25 in these polls. It's a total roll of the dice. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so many teams down there. I mean, in the AP poll, you're talking about Utah and Arizona State. Can you really make a case that Utah or Arizona State deserve to start the season ahead of Oregon? No. No, no you can't. I, I, you could look through it through the, the biggest fan glasses of a Utah fan or Arizona State fan. You, should, you would not be able to make that case at this point. So having said that, yeah, I think that they ended up basically where they were supposed to uh, in the preseason polls. And look, having said that, they play a big game in week two. We know that uh, against Ohio State, who's in the top five. The top five teams are the same in both polls. And Clemson and Georgia play in week one. So And Alabama plays Miami in week one. So there are going to be a lot of top 25 games in non-conference play. Oregon's got one of them. Washington, I know Michigan's technically unranked, but they're just outside the top 25. So there are going to be some big games for Pac-12 teams. They're going to be obviously a very big game for Oregon uh, in non-conference play. And then we'll see how conference play unfurls. But I, I thought the Pac-12 as a whole in both the coaches and AP polls entirely was treated pretty well, pretty treated fairly for a league that had the fewest games. And like we talked about, had no integrity of record as a conference. I thought that the league as a whole, you know, that the, the USC being ranked not too far behind Oregon, that Washington being ranked 20 or 21. And then, yes, Utah and Arizona State in the AP poll, not in the coaches poll, but just outside. I thought that was all fair. I thought as a whole, you, you really can't ask for more. Is there anything more worthless than the preseason college football poll anyway? I mean, I, I voted in the AP before. I assume you voted before. I don't know. If, do you vote now? Uh, I vote in the uh, men's basketball poll. Men's basketball poll. So, I mean, preseason polls, I remember going – over all the, you know, who's back for each team and looking at all this, blah, blah, blah. And I think I, it was the, the last time I did it was a year, uh, Brady Quinn was going to be a senior with Notre Dame and I had them mm -hmm. rank number one. And people were like, you only have them one number one because they have Brady Quinn. I'm like, well, no, they returned like 15 starters and plus it's a preseason poll. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to pretend to know who's the best team in the country coming into a season. It's, it's just guesswork. It's, it's basically. To a degree, just, but since 2004, the national champion has been ranked in the top seven all but twice and, in the well, preseason but, poll. But those teams have been pretty fairly obvious, right? Alabama's won how many of those titles? Clemson's won a couple? Sure. Like, yeah, sure. So I'm talking about top 25, not just the top three or four. Yeah, you can probably. Yeah, but, but ultimately, it's like, the, the, like you say, is there anything more yeah. worthless? And I say, well, you know, I don't know. Over the last 16, 17 years, ended up in the top 
seven is basically indicative that you're going to win the whole thing unless you were 2010 Auburn, uh, where they had Cam Newton as a transfer, or 2013 Florida State, who was number 11. I mean, yeah, they were really, you know, really outside the grid. I mean, so bottom line, uh, I mean, it, I agree with you. Do they carry a lot of weight? Can you remember? Well, forget about last year. All right. That, that gets really messy. But other than basically guessing that, that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma would be in the top five on a habitual basis the last several years, can you really unequivocally say who was the top five two years ago or even last year or who, you know, no, not really. Not really. It doesn't care. I mean, it doesn't carry lasting weight. It shouldn't. Uh, insofar as, Hey, the games still have to be played. Like we just rattled off. All these games are going to be top 25, top 10 kind of games to start. It's going to shift quickly. Uh, and good. That's, that's the fun. I'd rather have a bunch of top 15 matchups to talk about the first couple of weeks than have none of them. And then you go, well, no, we really aren't going to know until November or December. No, we're going to know pretty quick <laughs> among the top 10 teams how some of these teams are. When, Like I say, when Georgia and Clemson are playing each other right out the chute and Clemson's schedule from there is basically a cakewalk and Georgia has only one or two games that are really supposed to be terribly competitive. So, And again, we're mentioning a couple teams around the country because of the preseason polls, but these are games that are going to matter to Oregon. Their team, you know, These are games that are going to matter to the Pac-12, no matter what Oregon does against Ohio State in week two. If they win, they certainly vault themselves up into that conversation in a hurry, which brings us to our uh, second question on this general topic, uh, Aaron, on the possibility of uh, contending for a playoff berth, since we are talking about preseason discussions here in a team that starts off 11 or 12 in preseason polls, highest in the Pac-12, two-time right. reigning champions of the Pac-12. If you're going to be a playoff team, you have to win a, a Power 5 league. That's pretty much proven and unequivocal at this point. So do you think at this point, entering the season, that what where do you handicap Oregon's chances of being a playoff contender? Not a champion well, contender. I, I, talking about getting in the field of four. Getting in the field right. of four. Well, I agree with your assessment. I mean, you picked them to win the Pac-12. Uh, mm-hmm. You pretty much say you don't see how they're not going to win the Pac-12. So then mm-hmm. from that point, they have to be 12-1 and one at, at worst. 12-1 and one has gotten the Pac-12 into the playoffs each time so far. Uh, so I would definitely give them a chance to be a Pac-12 representative in the playoffs if they are 12 and one. Uh, with the Ohio State game, if they if they beat Ohio State, I give them a chance. I just don't think that's going to happen. If, if they lose Ohio State, that means they have to run the table. They've only run the table once in the history of the program. I don't think this is a team capable of necessarily running the table unless the Pac-12 is completely down, um, which maybe it is. Who knows? But so I'm going to say no. I, I don't think this is a playoff team. And my biggest concern is going to be the defense given the, the fall off last year. And then the, the question at quarterback, they're starting a sixth year senior transfer. Uh, you know, we'll see if he's championship capable or not, but I don't believe he's national championship contention capable. And time is going to tell on all that. And the, right. the you, you, yes, do I believe that they're going to win the division and win the conference? Yeah. I was one of the people who voted in the PAC 12 media preseason poll. And I voted for Oregon to win the North and for them to win the league and for USC to win the South. Uh, so to go rather chalk in that sense. Um, however, are they the only team that faces some of the questions that you're referring to? No. You know, we nope. talk about the teams in the top 10. <laughs> there are most of the teams in the top 10, most of the teams other than North Carolina, Oklahoma, who don't return starting quarterbacks. It's true. You know, so you could say, well, there's questions of quarterback. Yeah, there are. You know, or else there are questions of quarterback. Now, again, it's a, far, you know, not exactly because Alabama and Clemson have top end recruits as well. Exactly. But point is, is, you know, they've got changes of quarterback. Ohio State is changing a quarterback. 
First time in 60, almost 70 years that they have never had a quarterback returning who attempted a pass in their career. Now, you know, you could say, well, yeah, but CJ Stroud was a five-star guy and they got another five-star guy and another four-star guy and now a reclassifying five-star guy. How bad could it be? I hear you, but there's still uncertainty out there elsewhere in the country, you know, so to not make a mountain out of a molehill, bottom line, do I think Oregon is going to win the Pac-12? Yes. Do I think that that puts them in the playoff conversation by default? Yeah. Can I say? Oh, for sure. No, the 12 and one, it's beyond conversation. 12 and one, you're, you're, you're absolutely in the top five or six and, and you're in the thick of the conversation. I say you're in the conversation if you win the league, just in that in conversation, I'm not talking about conversation four versus five versus six in the actual uh, uh, trio of teams. Yes, that's a given at 12 and one. I'm saying you're in the conversation if you're in the top 10, if you're in the top eight and, you know, later in the season. If, if you win a power five league, you should be probably in the top 10 teams. You would need, you know, what? How many other, you know, two, two, three SEC teams over and above a, a champion plus, uh, yes, a team like a Cincinnati or a group of five team to sneak in there? You know, yes, obviously Cincinnati's done that. But point is, is do I know for sure, you know, what the season's going to unfurl and uh, what entails for everybody else? No, I don't know that either. I think they're going to be in the conversation, but you're right. The Ohio State game, look, if they win that, they clearly will vault into the conversation in a hurry. They'll be there all season long. But we're taking a mid-August review of things. Uh, I say that, you know, I personally believe that they'll win the league again. And in that case, they'll be in the conversation. Do I think that they are more likely than not to be in the playoff? No, I can't say that. The odds right now are paying you better to, better than two to one for them not to make the playoff. Uh, and not it. be one I'll of those four that. teams. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a I, I, we got the odds uh, email earlier this morning. But if you wanted to bet on that right now, if you feel Oregon's going to make the playoff, it's thirteen to two, which is a plus six fifty. You get six and a half to one odds on yes, and it would be minus twelve hundred one and twelve odds to not be among the top four teams. So, as I say, well, you know, I thought you said two to one. Okay. Well, I'm saying bet you get you're getting better than two to one is what I was saying on the return. In this case, you're getting six and a half to one if you believe that they're going to be among the teams in the top four today, yeah. as of today. Now, you know, I'd have a, again, I'd have a tough time touching that myself. So let, let's get to what needs to happen for them to make mm-hmm. a magical run. For me, the biggest concern, as I mentioned, the defense. Now, you know, you've made the point. Last year, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Last year was a weird season. They lost some key guys because of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. The run-up to the season was weird. Do you judge them or not? The bottom line is they, they gave up 31 points per game, whereas the previous year they gave up, I think, 16. That's that's a huge difference regardless of what went down. They got a new defensive coordinator. Do you believe this defense can get back to the 20 points allowed per game or less type of area, which is where I think they probably need to be to have a chance to run the table? I think they can get back to be, whether it's 20 points or it's a slightly different number, I think they can get back to being a really competitive uh, and top-end defense in the league. And if that, whether that's a top 30 defense nationally, top 25 defense nationally, I think it's all relative. Uh, I don't I think it has to necessarily be a hard number on points or hard number on yards. I think it ultimately comes down to where do you stack up, uh, relatively speaking. If they're in the top 30 nationally defensively, and I think they – they absolutely have the talent to do it. There's no question. 
then yeah, I think that, I think they can do that. I think they can reach top thirty. Can they reach top twenty five? And we're talking about an overall and scoring defense. When I say twenty five, I don't know if it's going to be top right. twenty five in every statistical category. But can they make certain improvements in terms of run defense in particular that will then improve their total defense, improve their scoring defense? Yeah, I think so. Right. I think so. And I think I think they're physically capable of it. I think they have the talent to do it. Uh, and yes, they're obviously changing defensive coordinators and have Tim DeRuiter. And bringing his scheme to the table. But when you have three guys in the front seven who are former five star recruits and plenty of other, you know, four stars in that group. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of talent to work with. That's, that's a lot of pieces. Uh, and, and a really talented secondary too, to be clear. But point is, is when you have that kind of firepower to throw out there, there aren't too many other teams, uh, in the Pac 12 who can really stack up with that. They just aren't. Let's take a quick break and then hear more Ducks Confidential with James Crepia and Aaron Pentris. What do you think the big changes are going to be that's going to help them turn the corner? And interior defensive line, is that one, one of the areas you That's about? one. Yeah, that's one in particular. I know they lose a couple of seniors, but uh, Jordan Scott and Austin Fowley did not have particularly productive senior seasons last season. I know for myriad reasons, short year, screwy year, yes, yes, yes. Right. It's not a matter of, of rehashing everything from last year. Their production was not there. They were undrafted free agents in the NFL. Uh, now they're being replaced by the guys who were serving as their understudies, as their backups last year with Popo Amavai and Brandon Dorless, who really took over as a starter by the end of last year anyway. And then a Christian Williams and Keon Ware Hudson, who were fifth and sixth on the interior of the defensive line a year ago, will now be third and fourth of the interior this year. That, to me, as a whole, I think this, this group of t- the top four will be collectively better uh, and get better production than last year's top four, right. uh, I believe. And then, yeah, again, having a Justin Flo at weak side linebacker, where, yes, they have to replace Isaac Slade, uh, Matatia, who went to SMU in the offseason. Uh, and his production was really important, and he was really good in pass coverage for an inside linebacker. But you're replacing him with a five-star. You know, that's big. And, and Keith Brown, who arrives uh, in the offseason in the spring, yes, he's a true freshman. No, you're not going to ask him to go out there and play 35 snaps a game, but he's another five-star. So it's just a matter of reloading the talent, reloading the talent with top-end talent and the depth chart with top-end talent. They're doing that. They're doing that at a lot of positions. Uh, so in the particular areas, yeah, in, the, in terms of, uh, yeah, they're replacing three guys in their front seven. Yeah, they are. But I think it may actually end up being a net positive uh, for them just because of the caliber, like I said, the caliber of talent that they've brought in and added in some of those spots. What about scheme wise? What 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 do you think people can expect differently from what we saw from Avalos? So yeah, we chatted about this a little bit uh, last night. And I don't want to um, uh, just you know, yeah, succinctly. Oh, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to keep it pretty basic because it starts getting really into the weeds. But uh, to to keep it kind of to the point, uh, the bottom line is is to the to the untrained eye, it's not going to necessarily look all that different. There will be some differences. Uh, you'll notice on the edges, you'll see that Kayvon Thibodeau plays out of a two-point stance. Did he do that at times last year? Yeah. Did he play probably more out of a three-point? Yeah. Is there a huge difference in that? Mm, not necessarily. Depends. But ultimately, this whole thing, this offseason, going back to the spring when he said, well, he changed positions, he's on the edge, you know, and then it's, well, it's not exactly the responsibilities are 
basically unchanged. He's still going to be a pass rusher. Yeah, he is. He is. That's irrefutable. But there are differences in nuance of technique between what he was doing before predominantly and what he'll be doing now predominantly. Wild differences? No. But differences. Uh, differences in, in certain kinds of responsibilities. Differences in how he goes about attacking. Differences in uh, what path he takes uh, to attack in the quarterback. They're really fine points, to be clear. But he won't be the only one that sees some changes in that regard. So I think as a whole, there will be some schematic changes, uh, some that really, like I say, get into the weeds, whether we're talking about the edge players, Kayvon Thibodeau being the, obviously the most prominent, but Mace Funa also on the other edge, or Braden Swinson, uh, who can play either with his hand in the dirt or off the edge as well. Adrian Jackson also lined up behind KT. So those guys, you'll see some differences. And the secondary, I think it's going to look very, 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 very similar to what people saw before. I mean, ultimately, you know, there's only so many variations of man and zone and personnel of how many, you know, guys you're throwing out there, four and five and, and et cetera. So with, with base, you know, with nickel becoming the base for basically everybody, uh, I think that's going to look largely the same. But there will be some differences in the front seven. Uh, and like I say, against teams in the, Pac-12 North, who play with multiple tight ends a lot, there you're gonna. It's things are really gonna look quite similar to what uh, Andy Avalos was doing because when you're playing multiple tight ends, you have to be in a more traditional defense. That will be a more traditional three-four or four-three, for that matter, or occasionally five-two if need be. That's and that's not tipping off anything from what we've seen at practice. That's just generic. That's just football. That's that's just <laughs> that's just basic. Um, so, bottom line. I do think there will be some adjustments um, that come in, but yeah, I mean, it, it, some of it will be really into the weeds and some of it will be uh, pretty plain and easy to see. Speaking of Kayvon, easily one of the most hyped players in the history of Oregon coming into a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have him projected top five pick. They're calling him, a, you know, top 10, five, top five or 10 player in the country, obviously. Um, three sacks last year, again, seven games, weird season. And I thought, I thought honestly, he might get eight or 10 sacks just in those seven games based on how he ended his uh, freshman season. Uh, given, I wouldn't say pressure, but given the expectations for him, given how they plan to use him this season, do you expect him a to be Pac 12 defensive player of the year, at least in the running B to surpass 10 sacks and maybe C set the sack record, which is 13. Yeah, I yes to, to all those. Yes, yes. to all, all the above. Yeah, yeah I think I think he's going to be a player who's in contention for Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I, I absolutely believe that. Uh, I'm certainly not going to put a cap on his production or capabilities. I'm not going to be that one to do. I mean, I, I would not be somebody to to uh, to in any way put a limit on on what that young man is capable of. He is capable of a ton. Uh, he is a physical force and presence. Uh, has been and will continue to be, and is still really just just scraped the you know the surface of his potential. So with a full season and the ability to go up against, not for nothing, Pac-12 doesn't have that many great offensive tackles this year. It doesn't you know the best offensive tackles he's going to play are against Ohio State. So and they're two of the best in the country. Uh, and if they keep one of them uh, at tackle and not move him inside in particular, so you know I, I think he's. How how much he's double teamed will have a lot to do with it. I think that may change a little bit again this year compared to last year. Also, uh, I think he even talks about yeah. If I was you know an, an offensive coordinator, I would double team me on every play, uh, you know, until somebody stops you. So ultimately, um, 
I, do I think that he's going to be in the running for that conversation for defensive player of the year in the conference? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you'd be a fool to, to suggest otherwise. He was the only, I believe, is the only unanimous selection for a preseason all conference team. So he has the name recognition. He has the brand. He has the production to back it all up. It was the, uh, obviously the championship game MVP from a year ago. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's got the resume already. And if he goes out there and in terms of the sack record for the program being 13, I mean, he's shooting a heck of a lot higher than that. And like I say, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's he shooting for? He, he wants 20 plus. Now, of course, you could say, well, that's crazy. That's that We're talking about NCAA <laughs> records, you know. Well, of course, because who's done it? You know, it's only been done a handful of times in, in college football history. And, but, and I don't think teams are going to allow him to do it. Like, there's, I don't think a team is going to not sure. do everything they can to keep him from getting three or four I sacks in the don't game. don't disagree, it's but, very you know, difficult to get 20. But, but it's been it's done. Nice to have a goal. I, yeah, it's been done before in terms of college football history. And, and for one, yeah. and two, like the other side of it is he should be shooting for the seemingly of limitless. Course. Why He's not? not somebody who should go in and say, yeah, you know, I only want like eight or nine. No, you should be shooting <laughs> for the moon. I mean, why, you know, basically why stop there? Why, so, you know, why put any limit? I mean, basically he's, he should be striving for, you know, every which thing he's talked about. He's been frank about it. He's going, I, I want to be in the highest trophy conversation. Now, of course we know defensively that's not realistic uh, for a defensive player to do it. Hasn't been done. And it's been, it would be awfully difficult to accomplish that. But, but would you be the one to tell him he can't do it? I ain't. That <laughs> no, because yeah. I'll be honest, historically speaking, I thought Tyron Matthew and Dominican Sue should have won it the years that they were each up for it. So I'm not I'm not somebody who says a defensive player can never do it. I'm somebody well, who thought that should be involved. Those guys no could have, would have, should have won it the years they were up for it. I would say half of the quarterbacks that have won Heisman, if not more than half, were nowhere near the best players in the country when you factor in all positions. And a lot of them weren't even the best players on their team. They just played quarterback. So Heisman to me is is weak in that regard. But another point about Kayvon. If teams do decide, okay, we're going to ice Kayvon, we're not going to let him have any shot at getting to the quarterback unless he can go through two guys, how do you feel about the rest of the defense taking advantage of that and racking up a bunch of sacks team-wise, even if he doesn't get a ton? Let's say he just gets, let's say he only gets seven or eight, which, oh, I say only, that's only, still a lot. Yeah. But if, you, if he gets set only se- seven, only seven, being double teamed all season, can the rest of the team produce 30, 25, whatever? Uh, 30 would be really, really high. I mean, 30 would be a ton. 30 would be a really high number. Uh, I mean, well, uh, I mean, UCLA had 23 last year in seven games. Yeah, but if you're talking 30 plus him getting seven or eight, you know, you're talking 37, 37 38. Yeah. That's that's in almost 14 games. They had 46. That's yeah. Games it's basically. Yeah, I say that's basically yeah, three I'm per just, game. That's a pretty decent clip. That's what UCLA it's not, did. Not impossible. Not that's impossible. What UCLA did. I'm just saying. Anyway, do you think yeah. the rest of the guys? And, they had, and UCLA had a interior defensive tackle who got drafted. We just talked about, about about all the five stars. So anyway, but right. the point is, do you think the rest of the team is? Are there a bunch of pass rushers? that are going to make people pay for spending too much time worrying about Kayvon in your I, I believe that they have, particularly on the edge, a pretty good assortment of guys. Uh, some of whom I mentioned before, Adrian Jackson Jr., one of them, uh, Mace Funa, one of them, and a couple of guys on the interior who can help balance it out. And like I say, yeah, it's 37 or 38 on a 13-game season. We're not even including necessarily 14, maybe even 15, um, getting to that level. It's, it's certainly possible. Again, yeah, they had 41 two years ago in a 14-game season. But we're talking about in a 12 or 13 game sample is 37 or 38 possible with one guy having that number. Yeah. I mean, they did it in 2019. It's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. It could be better than that, but that was also a pretty good clip that they were at back in 2019 too. Not otherworldly, not record setting. It was, it was good. 
Can they do it? Yeah, I think it, I think they can absolutely have that kind of a number, uh, and I think they have the talent to support it uh, with more than just KT. But you know, that said, to your point, yeah, they're going to be opposing offensive coordinators who make it their mission every week to ensure that he does not have the success that he's looking for and that Oregon does not get the disruption that it's looking to achieve either from him or freeing up other guys to do damage in lieu of him. Uh, so it will be a test to be sure. Secondary wise, you know, the, last year Graham didn't play. Uh, Javon didn't play. Diamador came in late and decided to play, but mm-hmm. there seemed obviously so you would expect there to be a drop off in the secondary play. And, and there kind of was losing two NFL guys. Do you think they can get back to those two? Three, three when you include levels? Breeze. Breeze got drafted too. Oh, that's right. Breeze. Breeze didn't play. I'll say, yeah, so three guys. So do you expect there to be uh, an uptick back to almost where they were in 19? Or do you think there's a ways to go before they can reach those levels? Given all uh, the talent that they've. I think it's in. right now they have, they have talent. They have a lot of talent. Uh, I think the question now at the secondary is just because of these two indefinite suspensions right now that there's just a lot of moving pieces. I mean, we saw this first scrimmage this past Saturday. The secondary was down uh, or limited or whatever. Bottom line, there were six players in the secondary who didn't play for one reason or another. Uh, now, it's not all injuries, it's not all suspension. It's a, co- you know, it's a combination of all these things. But bottom line, six guys. That's a full unit. It's not all the guys on the first unit, all the guys on the second right. unit, but it's six guys. Well, there's only so many, how many guys, how many defensive backs do you think are on the team? I mean, there's not 30 of them. Right. You know, so you take six guys out of the mix. That's a lot. Um, so in terms of starting to project out right now of that kind of talent, is Michael Wright a future NFL player? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's Dante Manning, probably, probably. And I say probably only because we haven't actually seen him. If you go by recruiting profile, he certainly has the, the makeup to do it, but we haven't seen it in a game yet. So I, you can't you'd be a fool to start proclaiming guys before they even play at the college level. Uh, Verone McKinley's played a lot of college football. Bennett Williams and Jordan Happel played a lot of college football. And Jamal Hill closed the year well last year, but again, he's one of the guys indefinitely suspended right now. So there's just a lot of moving parts. Uh, do I think that they have the talent, not just on the top line, but including on the second line on the depth chart, uh, to certainly be as good as they were a couple of years ago? Yeah, I do. I think collectively they have a lot of talent. That said, do I think that, you know, when you're talking about replacing, whether it was Javon or Graham or Diamador or Breeze, yeah, it's a lot to replace. They they knew they were going to have a lot to replace in that group. Right. And I think individually today, again, before we get into a season and who does what and the next additional year of the entire group, the guys here now, and you can look at some of the guys who were here before, yeah, I think Javon Holland was the most talented, physically talented and gifted of the guys who were here before and no longer here and the guys who are here now. But he was a borderline, you know, he's an early second round pick, borderline first round pick. That's not speaking low of anybody. Right. That's, you know, at deep safety, that's not a position of tremendous high end value in the NFL to be a borderline first round pick when you opt out, no less. That just speaks really highly of Javon Holland. Okay. One thing I wanted to get to that we jumped past the last time is the quarterback situation behind Brown. He's clearly the starter unless he falls on his face, but there are three dynamite dudes behind him. Uh, a five-star and two four-stars, I believe, right? Uh, Ty Thompson's five-star, mm-hmm. Ashford and Butterfield, four-star kids. Who do you think, one, is going to be the backup this season? And two, who do you think – and do you think that person is going to be a virtual lock to be the starter in 2022? Or are they going to have to fight on their hands with the other two guys no matter what happens this season? Yeah, I think that one way or another that the backup role 
will probably be a competitive spot for a while. Uh, <laughs> even if they declare a backup, I think it could be Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson. Uh, and that's not knocking Robbie Ashford like, but in terms of how he's played. He's played well when he's gotten out there. Uh, the reason why I've separated him compared to the other two at this moment is just because, well, for one reason or another, some of it not necessarily his fault, he's just been more limited in the scrimmages that we've seen. Go back to the first spring scrimmage, he didn't take part because he rolled his ankle that week. Go back right. to the spring game. All right, yes, he closed the spring game with a touchdown pass and the two-point conversion run, but he had fewer opportunities compared to the other young guys you mentioned. Uh, in this past Saturday scrimmage, was limited. Not when he was out there, he completed three straight passes, including the only touchdown pass in the scrimmage. With the number three offense against the number three defense, you know that's not taking anything away from him. It's just contextualizing how things went down. Compare that to the other two guys who played more with the number twos, even got a little bit of work with the number ones, uh, and that we've seen that already in the spring. So that's why I think it'll ultimately come down to Butterfield or Thompson for this fall in terms of the backup role. And then what does the competition look like? Well, fast forward past this season. Now we're already talking about 2022. I think it's going to be competitive between all three, regardless of who the backup is, regardless of who number three is, regardless of who number four is. I think it's going to be a really competitive uh, competition. And we're not even mentioning uh, quarterback commit who they have in Tanner Bailey, uh, as well as another four-star uh, borderline five-star player. So it is going to be a really competitive quarterback competition after this season for Oregon. It'll be a competitive battle for the backup role this year, uh, probably for the number three role this year. But what does that entail for? And is that is the backup role this year mean and indicate anything in terms of who's ahead for the competition for the following year? I'm not right. convinced that it absolutely does because of just how good these guys are, how highly touted they are, and frankly, how well they've played in the scrimmages we've seen. Like I say, I thought on Saturday night, I mean, Mario said that Thompson played the best and that was after film review, but we all felt that way in, in real time. Uh, he, he did play well. Um, that said, I don't think any of them played terrible. I don't think anybody played really poorly on Saturday night's first fall scrimmage. You know, yes, things are a little vanilla. Brown faced the most consistent pressure, um, so nobody's completion percentages were outrageous. Yes, again, Ashford was three for three in a small sample. But everybody else was okay, you know, completion percentage-wise, but I thought Thompson made the most plays. And I thought, actually thought Butterfield was next. Uh, because, again, he made nice plays. But all of them had a deep throw thrown in there. Uh, all of them did pretty well. So whether or not they anoint anyone as the designated backup or it's, again, Butterfield or Thompson and they just do certain things in practice, but, you know, they kind of still split reps along the way. I, I could see it happen either way, and I don't think that who ultimately is the number two on paper this year necessarily indicates that they'll be the favorite heading into the offseason because, like I say, these guys are all – really talented in their own yeah. different ways. There yeah. are different kinds of players. What's what's interesting about this group to me is that <clears throat> it feels a lot different than the group that came in right after Mariota. We had Travis Johnson, Terry Wilson, then you had Morgan Mahalik. There was always a big mystery about could any of them actually play, <laughs> right? But now it feels like with all three of these guys, it's more a matter of who's going to win the job and be the guy and then who's probably going to ultimately transfer. They're not all going to stay. There's no way. They're all pretty much around the same age. Um, but, but there's not a sense at all that at least one of them, or there is a sense, that at least one of them is going to emerge as not only a good starter, but maybe an elite you know, all-pack-12 level guy. Do you agree with that? 
Uh, for sure, they have the top end talent. I don't get into the projecting about transferring stuff because that's to me. I, I, I've never done that. I never will. I don't speculate on that. I don't do it here. I don't do it in writing. I don't do it on radio. I, I, I just don't go there. Um, to me, it's incredibly unfair to, to college players to do that. Um, I, I just don't. I, I never do that. I, I could be the number eighty five guy on the depth chart, and it's a foregone conclusion. I, I just don't go there. Um, so. Uh, Okay, I'll go there a, for us. Yeah, I mean, feel free. Um, <laughs> One will be I, gone I, by spring, but go I, mean, I, I never, <laughs> I just never do that with anybody. Um, never have, never will. Um, that's just not, it's not what I do. But uh, will it be a competitive deal? Absolutely. Again, are these guys all highly touted in a recruiting sense? Absolutely. Uh, again, I can't speak to everybody. Historically speaking, you bring up guys from the past of you know this year, or yesteryear. I, I certainly know if you want to go back to the chip era. I mean, chip even today. I mean, never ask Chip about recruiting rankings because recruiting rankings never matter to Chip because it's all about system fit. And, you know, he manages to find every diamond in the rough, right? I mean, he's just smarter than everybody else. Uh, we know. Um, so, okay. hey, you know, if you believe in that, well, you know, you know, there's a degree of proof in the pudding there. But if you actually believe that some people may know a thing or two and that four and five stars do tend to indicate who might be competitive and, you know, the teams who've been in the playoff the most since the playoff has been around is been the teams who habitually are at the highest of recruiting rankings. It's, it's funny how those correlate. Um, yes, Oregon <laughs> has an awfully nice cluster of top end talent, not only at the quarterback position, but some of the skilled positions. But uh, you've seen, forward. but you've seen them. Like, I haven't watched these guys yeah. practice yet. You've, yeah. so, so I'm asking you, your eye test, when you look at them, I mean, there's a lot, a long way to go, obviously, but do you feel like, yeah, that guy's got the goods? Whereas, like, what I'm saying is that some of these guys back in the day, I'd be like, I don't know. There's some, there's some question marks there. And then it turned out they all ended up transferring. Same thing sure. with a Burmeister and stuff like that. But it sounds like these three of that, of that group, someone is probably going to emerge as a guy. Yeah. I mean, I think you see, particularly from Jay Butterfield, you see a really big arm. Uh, you saw that in the spring. You saw a little bit Saturday night. Uh, he had a deep pass in particular that was quite good. Uh, so I think his arm, overall arm strength, um, and not, to, not just velocity, yes, velocity, but driving the ball down the field, uh, I think he's really got it. Uh, Thompson is a little bit more of a uh, true dual threat. It certainly has the build and body type, uh, the speed and mobility, and also has a pretty big arm. Uh, but when you combine it with just the build um, that he has, the frame that he has, and you know that he's going to grow into it that much more. Yeah, he's just you know, a kid. The, yeah. So you know, when you're talking about a guy who's a true freshman, and you could say, well, could he play, could he play as a true freshman? I'm not going to say he can't. That's for sure. Not with a four game redshirt rule, especially. So could he play? Absolutely, he could play. Could he be effective? Yeah, like I say, Saturday night he was awfully good. <laughs> he ran out yeah. there with the number twos and the number ones. So yeah, I mean, he was pretty darn good. Um, He's a really talented, obviously, the highest, you know, highest rated uh, high school quarterback recruit that Oregon's ever signed. And for good reason. He, you know, he fits the bill. Do I think that get fast forward two, three years and he's 25, 30 pounds bigger and more muscular, uh, maybe even get some improved arm strength, improved speed that he has, you know, again, a lot to grow and, and get into? Absolutely. Could he play early? Sure. Absolutely. Robbie Ashford. Again, another dual threat guy, unbelievable athlete, two sport athlete, you know, mm -hmm. plays baseball at Oregon as well. Uh, now in the fall, he'll be, you know, he's, he's based, uh, uh, football only for the remainder of the year, but he was contending for a starting center field job last season. And until the ankle injury happened and then various different things, COVID related on the team and every which other thing. And then the center field job basically got locked down. 
he could be competing for a starting outfield spot in Oregon baseball in the spring uh, and amid spring practice and everything else. So these guys are all talented in their own ways. Ashford is probably the, he might be the fastest of the three. Uh, Butterfield might have the best arm of the three and Thompson may have the best all around game of the three. So that's where I say, I think this it's a legit competition. It's not be, it's not, It's not lip service when Mark keeps talking about, oh, you know, we're going to let those guys compete and whatever, and you go like, all right, but really? No, but these guys, it is. It is. You see it. They're, they're back, you've seen it more than once. You've seen it. Uh, they each have a different and diverse skill set. And uh, like I say, I'm not going to be the one to say that any of them aren't going to play in any capacity this fall, especially with the four-game redshirt rule. Uh, and I'm not going to begin to guess who's going to be the starter in 22 right now because it's, it's competitive yeah. now. Yeah, it's competitive now, and and you haven't seen him, you know, and none of them have taken a live hit in a college football setting, Uh, nor will they uh, until they get into a game. So, you know, none of them thrown a college pass. It's nice to do it in scrimmages, nice to do it in spring practice or fall camp, but you know, until until it's really live fire out there and it's an opposing defense who's who's coming after you. Hey, but no, I I, I'm not going to begin to project out in terms of uh, who will win the starting job for 22. That's it's a little early. You don't, you don't have a, a lead early. yet. Okay. That's, that's fair. So th- there's a couple of weeks, a little bit over a couple of weeks before the first game. What are, give me like two or three answers that you think that ducks need to find questions for between now and Fresno. Other way around uh, quest- questions that uh, they need to find questions for the answers or they need to find answers to the questions. What did I say? Uh, oh, so <laughs> did I say it in reverse? Yeah. Give me some answers. They can You're not mid-season form answers. yet. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> Give me boy. some answers for some questions. Give me some yeah. questions that need answers. So yeah. whatever. Yes. Yeah. I, I got you. Yes. Um, Cut. I think, uh, I, I think they need to find, um, it's probably just a couple of spots lower down on the depth chart. It's the biggest thing. I think a lot of the starting spots are pretty solidified. I say pretty solidified because I, you know, there are some spots where there's some competition to be sure, to be sure. Uh, I think a little bit of a wrench got thrown in, to say the least, uh, at the tight end position this week with Patrick Herbert suffering a knee injury. And he was certainly uh, – he was working exclusively with the ones that we saw in the spring uh, and was certainly going to be in position to be a major contributor at tight end. He's down. He will be for the foreseeable future. So Spencer Webb is still atop that depth chart right now. DJ Johnson is back right now. Cam McCormick is back and back on the field, worked with second-team offense on the weekend. And you've got two – you know, true freshmen out there who have played, played well, contributed in the spring, in the spring game, contributed in the scrimmage on Saturday, who will certainly have roles. So they have depth there. But if you had to ask me who is absolutely the number two tight end on this team right now, I couldn't tell you. You know, and that's, and that's not because, oh, there isn't an answer. No, it's because there's so many answers. Um, so it's just a matter of sorting out two through five at the tight end position now. It's a matter of sorting out who's number seven, who's number eight on the offensive line. Uh, who is the you know the next rotational guy on the interior of the defensive line? If the top four is set, hey, that fifth guy is still going to play five to seven snaps a game. You know, they still play, you know, and they may be really important plays. Quite frankly, you know, you may not think of them at the time, but somebody's going to be out there on second down and eight and need to come in. And you know, now first down gets picked up, and now they're back out there, and they can't just take plays off and loaf and, and not care. So, who some of those guys are? Uh, in certain, you know, positional roles. But as a whole, I think in terms of the major questions that a team could be facing, when you're talking about a team who's changing quarterbacks, do they have an answer? Yeah. Is there a backup battle? Absolutely. Is that a monumental thing? No. Do they have major questions at running back? No. 
major questions at receiver. I wouldn't say major questions. Uh, they do have a couple of guys coming off of injuries of varying degrees. And again, also a lot of really talented freshmen coming in. I think the question of receiver is how fast can those freshmen contribute and push for not just spots on the two deep. Can they push far more experienced players for roles and opportunities higher up? And I don't think that's going to happen before Fresno State, but as the season goes on, possible, possible. And then defensively, we talked about it before. In several of the positions, uh, the moving parts in the secondary is probably the only area that I think are real true questions per se. Uh, but we'll get we'll get clarity between now and, and the Fresno State game on that. But as a whole, I don't think you know this is not. Let's put it this way: this is not Arizona. This is not Colorado. This isn't Washington State. This isn't you know even Cal. Frankly, has a couple more questions, uh, despite having a lot of guys back. <clears throat> Stanford has more questions and replacing a quarterback. This team does not have that volume of questions. And because of that, that's why they're the like, – to circle it all back around, that's why they're the highest-ranked team in the Pac-12. That's why they're expected to win the conference. Uh, and three-peat, I know, contrary to what uh, Aaron believes, uh, but that is why they are projected to be where they are because they have a lot of certainty and they have a lot of talent. And when you have those things, usually people predict good things for you. You know, if you have, if you have certainty without talent – that, you know, there are places that have that. They have a, they, they are the 119th most experienced offensive line. Now, that doesn't include their junior college starts, but they have talent. There are 118 teams of more experience on the offensive line. Are you tell me there's 118 better offensive lines in the country? I can tell you they're not. So you can have experience without talent. They have a combination of both. And in areas where they're lacking experience, yeah, sometimes the talent gap makes up the difference. Agreed. All right. I think we're done. Yeah, I appreciate you guys for listening here to this uh, reboot episode of Ducks Confidential. He's, uh, again, Aaron Fentress, and I'm James Crepia. Make sure to subscribe to the Ducks Confidential podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and then those episodes will filter on through to your phone or mobile device wherever you listen to uh, your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review an Apple podcast, tell a friend. All that stuff really helps people find the show and again subscribe to get the latest episodes which we'll be bringing you uh, at least weekly uh, in the course of the preseason and then once we get into the season we're looking to do it uh, no less than twice a week uh, we'll be doing these so looking forward to it looking forward to keeping you folks posted and uh, again thanks for listening <laughs>